Well, good morning, Brookside. Like, uh, like Jeff said, we are continuing our Love Can series this morning. And by this point in our series, you've probably actually not only just heard about Love Can here, you've probably started to see Love Can lots of places around Omaha, either on the backs of car windows or, or, or maybe on billboards even. And if you're like, what's Love Can? Because you're, you're new to it. Let me give you the scoop or the update, the reminder. During this Love Can series, about 40 different churches around Omaha are stacking hands on the gospel, preaching sermons that make much of Jesus, and then working together as a group of churches to saturate Omaha with one million acts of love. And then there's lots more that's part of this Love series or Love Can series that you can find out more about at lovecan.net. And this cooperation and this unity across churches is actually really big. Because a lot of times when people think of churches, they, they, they can think more of division and, and things that kind of compete with unity rather than with cooperation. And so I, I love that Love Can is this strong counterexample showing that churches, even churches across denominations, believe that there are things that unite us that are so much bigger and better and stronger than any of the things that separate us. And so every time you see those words, love can, while you drive around Omaha, what we want to keep encouraging you to do is, is every time you see those words, just send up a short prayer for other churches around Omaha that are doing everything they can by the grace of God to advance the gospel here in our city and then also around the world. And then through this series, we want to practice that same thing as well, where we want to spend time praying for other churches even before we get into our time in the Word together as a church. And so this morning, I want to take just a minute and pray for Salem Baptist Church here in Omaha near 30th and Lake. So, so pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you so much for Omaha. We, we, we know you are doing such great things here in this city. And Father, thank you for the, for the churches in Omaha that are cooperating together to advance the gospel here. And Father, we pray specifically this morning for Salem Baptist. God, we ask for, for Pastor Selwyn, that you would just give himself and then the whole team of staff and, and volunteers that he has around him, give them just tremendous wisdom and insight and vision for reaching uh, their immediate community, but also all of Omaha as well, Jesus. And then to the ends of the earth, give them vision and, and, and insight and wisdom for that big of a goal. Father, our, our request is that their times with you personally would be meaningful and would energize their faithful ministry of making disciples who make much of you, Jesus. And now, Jesus, as we turn our attention to the Bible, our, our request is simple, but we know it is so important. Open our eyes by your Spirit in us. Open our eyes to the wonderful things in your word. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, almost exactly 30 years ago, President Ronald Reagan gave one of the most famous, well-remembered speeches of his presidency. The exact date was June 12, 1987, and Reagan was in West Berlin. The, the, the tensions around the Cold War were high. All the stuff that went along with the nuclear arms race and everything kind of wrapped up in that Cold War package. And so, so Reagan, in this effort to try to take steps towards, towards peace and towards freedom, he challenges Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev with these words that, that, that if you're in high school or if you're in college, you're reading about these words now. They're, they're that big. They, they're that influential. Here's what Reagan said. 
He said, there's one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable, that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union in Eastern Europe, come here to this gate. He's talking there about the Berlin Wall. He says, Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. And then, then I watched this video clip on YouTube earlier this week. And, and when he says this, the crowd that's there just starts erupting in applause and cheers. And, and, and that's where Reagan says these words that are so famous. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You see, the, the Berlin Wall was one of the defining symbols of the Cold War, symbolizing an obstacle to freedom. I mean, just imagine what it would have been like to, to live in Berlin, to live in Germany, and, and to have this wall go up that separates families, that separates relationships. This, this is real and this is big. But then two years after Reagan's speech, the wall came down. And swiftly after that, East and West Germany came together again. And so the Berlin Wall is one very, very real, very physical example we can point to in recent history of how walls can go up that separate people, to divide relationships, and that, that these walls can even create hostility and tension. But we also know that the walls that go up separating people, they're not always physical walls of brick and stone. There are invisible walls that are just as real and that have the same result of separating people. I mean, the, the funny example of this is the stereotypical middle school dance, right? Where, where on one side of the gymnasium are all of the boys huddled together trying to look as cool as they can while they're all huddled together. And while the girls are on kind of the opposite end of the gymnasium also trying to look cool and huddled together. The, there's nothing physical that's keeping any one of those boys from walking across the gym to go ask one of those girls to dance, right? But, but the invisible walls keeping the boys over there and the girls over there, they're just as real, aren't they? And the, the wall of status or, or the fear of rejection or, or this, this wondering, what will people think about me if I'm the first one to clip-clop, clip-clop all the way across the gym? So, so those walls are real. And, and that's a funny example, but we know there are examples that, 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 that are much more serious of invisible walls that separate people and create hostility. Walls like racism, the, the distance that can happen in relationships, just, just over, over how much people, over how much money people make sometimes, the, the isolation that can come with a messy past and more. There are walls all around us all the time. Invisible walls that separate people, create division in relationships, and that can even create hostility and, and animosity between people. But the good news is, is that the story of the Berlin Wall isn't just the story of a wall going up, but, but, but what makes it great is that it's the story of a wall coming down. And, 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 and when it came down, offering the people of Germany and really symbolizing what, what we want for the world, this, this freedom, this peace. And so, so this idea of walls coming down, the walls that had been big, that had been divisive, those walls can come down. That's what I want to camp on with our time together this morning. Because what we're going to see today is that Jesus' love, what Jesus came to do, he just bursts through those walls that can seem so big and so unscalable. 
Just look at what Jesus says in John chapter 10. He shows us that his, his vision for our life isn't a small life where we kind of stay around these walls that others have put up for us or we've put up for ourselves. Jesus' vision is for a big life. He comes right out and says, I have come that, they, that, that, that we, that you, may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus is talking about us finding life the way it was meant to be lived. Life of purpose and meaningful and everything else that goes along with that. So, so this, this is a big life, a full life, a free life, where those walls that can sometimes separate us are torn down. So, so, so let me say it this way. Jesus' love, what he came to offer, it builds bridges and it tears down walls. He tears down those walls that would separate us and he builds bridges instead. And then Jesus very clearly and he very boldly demonstrates this for us in John chapter 4. The, the, the story is fascinating, it's vivid. So, so I want to take just a, just a little bit of time and I want to read the, the 26 verses we'll be looking at together. I want to read those all together for us. While I'm reading, close your eyes, do whatever you want. It's, it's vivid. Put yourself here in this story. And then as I read, start paying attention for how Jesus is tearing down walls in this story and how he's building bridges instead. So, so here's John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So, so that leads Jesus to leave Judea, and he goes back once more to Galilee. So while Jesus is traveling up to Galilee, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So this is looking all the way back to Genesis. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. So, so here we see this, this, this glimpse into the humanity of Jesus. Jesus, certainly 100% God, but also 100% human. It says it's about noon. He'd been walking for hours and hours by this point. He's tired. He's human. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And so, so Jesus asking her this question is a big deal. And in the, in the parentheses we see why. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There were these walls that had gone up, separating Jews and Samaritans, dividing these people groups that were big walls. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And then, and then verses 13 and 14 are verses to underline in your Bible, if you, if, if you do that. They're great verses. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So, so naturally, the woman says, sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. And then Jesus tells her, go call your husband and come back. And, and I wonder if at this point in the conversation, if the woman pauses before responding. I, I wonder if she had been keeping eye contact with Jesus, but, but I wonder if at this point, her, her eyes just kind of drift to the ground. And she says, I have no husband. 
And Jesus said to her, you're, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. The, the man you're in a relationship, the man you're sleeping with, isn't your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And then, and then Jesus obviously touches a nerve here. Because the woman pulls back from, from this line of questioning, from, from, from this place Jesus is taking her, talking about her relationships. And, and, and the best way to avoid getting personal and, and going into that space Jesus is trying to take her, this woman asks a theological question about a debatable issue, right? So, so she's obviously trying to evade, deflect what Jesus is doing. We see, we see it in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Here's the, here's the theological debate. Our ancestors worship on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Then Jesus replied, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. And then yet, verse 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So Jesus is inviting this Samaritan woman into true worship. He's showing her the Father is seeking worship that, that, that you can be part of, he says to this Samaritan woman. Verse 24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, in, in, this, in this unveiling of his identity, that Jesus almost never makes in the Gospels. Jesus tells this woman, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I am the Messiah. Jesus is driving this entire conversation towards who he is and what he offers. I mean, if you want to sum up everything that I just read in a few phrases or a couple sentences, here it is. We see from this passage that Jesus is the Messiah who offers us this completely satisfying, totally thirst-quenching fountain of eternal life. The, the, the full life we saw earlier in John 10, right? The, the, the life that, that provides meaning and purpose. That's what Jesus came to offer but what I want to focus on today isn't just what Jesus is saying. I mean, I mean that's big, right? Who Jesus is and everything he offers. But as we, as we saw in this passage, it is, it is just as significant who Jesus is sharing this message of who he is and what he makes available, who he's sharing this with, who he's talking to in this passage. Because in, to, in talking with this Samaritan woman at this well near Sychar, Jesus is breaking every cultural standard of his day. He, he's inviting the angry emails, right? He's, he's inviting criticism. And he just, he just knows that he's creating all this grist for the rumor mill. And the thing is, Jesus is absolutely fine with all of that. Why? Why would Jesus, fully aware of all these cultural taboos he's stepping into, why would Jesus do this? Because Jesus feels in his bones that the message of who he is and what he came to offer, that's for everyone. We see here so clearly that Jesus came to tear down those, those cultural walls that otherwise would have kept a Jewish man from a Samaritan woman. He came to tear down those walls and to build bridges instead. Just in this one story, we see Jesus completely demolishing two walls 
that would have, that would have seemed uh, insurmountable in the first century. The walls of cultural separation and the wall of shame. These two walls of cultural separation and shame, that they weren't just big in the first century, they're still big today, by the way. Because we're, we're so aware of how cultural differences, differences around race and ethnicity and, and, and religious differences, anything else that comes up around these cultural differences, those so often create separation and even hostility. It, it just feels natural for us to want to put barriers between us and anything that, that seems different. Or, or the wall of, of shame is just as big as well. We know how tough it can be to walk with someone through their mess and their brokenness. We, we, we know what it's going to cost us. And so when we know somebody else has a broken life, a messy life, we, we just want to stay about six feet away. Or, or, or we don't want to invite other people into our mess. We don't want to invite them into our brokenness. Because of how vulnerable that would make us. Because of what it would show others about us. And so, so we keep them at arm's length as well. So, so these walls of cultural separation and shame, they were big in the first century. Those walls are big today. But the thing is, where others see an obstacle, Jesus sees opportunity. And so those walls don't keep him away. Those walls don't send him back. He breaks through those walls and offers himself and the life that he makes available. Jesus does that to the Samaritan woman in John 4. And he does that for us today. And so let's go back to John 4. And I want to pull out just a couple things that we cannot miss. About how Jesus tears down walls. About, about how the gospel tears down walls in this passage. So, so, so one big takeaway is that we see here that the gospel tears down the wall of cultural separation. There is, there is no way for me to overstate how big of a deal it is that Jewish, or that Jesus, this Jewish man, is speaking with this Samaritan woman here in John chapter 4. But, but back in the first century, everything about this conversation would have raised flags in people's minds. Ethnically, there had been division and separation and animosity between Jews and Samaritans basically since the 8th century B.C., so for hundreds and 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 hundreds of years, there had been separation, division, animosity. And the passage of time hadn't cooled things off between Jews and Samaritans. Even in the decades around the time Jesus walked this earth in his ministry that we read about in the Gospels, even in the decades surrounding that time, we can point to historical events where we see defilement and destruction and massacre between Jews and Samaritans. And so you bet the animosity between Jews and Samaritans was big. Ethnically, the wall seemed insurmountable. In terms of gender, back in the first century, Jewish men didn't often speak to women in public, period. Conversation between men and women who weren't married, it was seen as promiscuous. And then religiously, there are all sorts of big, big differences between Jews and Samaritans as well. That they, they had different books they looked to as Holy Scripture. Different places of worship. Different places they believed the presence of God resided in a big way. That they, uh, so, 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 so in the midst of all of these differences, 
in the midst of the ethnic and racial differences, in, in the midst of the, the gender distinctions and the religious differences, in the midst of all of these differences, what I want us to see in this passage is that Jesus doesn't take the long way around. Jesus doesn't avoid eye contact or stay away, as far away from this woman as he possibly can. In the midst of all of these differences, Jesus starts a conversation. Jesus steps into the relationship. He initiates the relationship. He builds a bridge to himself and what he offers. Galatians 3.28 sums up why Jesus does this in one verse. There we read that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For, for you, Paul here is writing Galatians, is speaking to the church, you are all one in Christ Jesus. What unites us is so much bigger and greater than anything that would otherwise, otherwise separate us. The gospel tears down the walls of cultural separation. The life that Jesus offers is for everyone. And then back in John 4, we see that the gospel breaks through not just the wall of cultural separation, but the gospel also breaks through the wall of shame. Here's where the details we read about in the story are, are so important for us to pay attention to. The Samaritan woman, she comes to the well at, at noon, at the hottest part of the day. Instead of coming at a cooler time of the day, either, either early in the morning or more towards evening, which would have been much more customary. I mean, because because they're carrying water, which isn't light, a long way. So, so you want the temperature at least to cooperate with you a little bit. So, so the fact that she's coming to the well at the hottest part of the day tells us something about the woman's situation. And then from everything we can tell from this passage, this woman comes to the well alone, rather than with a group of women from the village. And in that respect, at least, the first century wasn't that much different than today, where women like to travel in groups. When my wife and I go out in a group of people, one woman gets up to go to the bathroom, they all get up to go to the bathroom, right? And so, so here we see that, that these clues, that this woman is alone, that she's coming to the well at the, at the hottest part of the day. All of these clues point us in one direction, that, that she's isolating herself. And then we keep reading and we find out why. It's because she had a messy past and a broken life. Five husbands. We, we, we don't know if these husbands, may, may, maybe they died. We don't know if they divorced her. But when, you have, when you've had five relationships that aren't true anymore, five, five relationships that are done, you, you know that creates brokenness and baggage. And then the man she was with at the time, Jesus talks with her, the, the, the relationship she's in then, that man wasn't her husband. And so when we put all of these details of the story together, the way she's isolating herself, the way she's trying to avoid the way the, Jesus questioning her about her past and her relationships, all of these things show us that this woman is trapped by shame. And we, and we can feel the situation she's in, can't we? I mean, have you ever had an area of your life where you've just felt so trapped by shame? Maybe it's sexual sin of your own. Maybe it's financial mismanagement. Maybe it's hurtful words you've said in the past that you know you can't take back. We, we know how this one feels, where you just feel isolated, you feel trapped, you feel ashamed. This was the sort of woman that, that a good Jewish man would have been told to stay away from. 
only Jesus didn't. Jesus knows everything there is to know about this woman. He knows everything about her. And he doesn't avoid her. He doesn't stay away. Jesus knows everything there is to know about this woman. And he presses forward with conversation with her. Jesus doesn't ignore or endorse her sin. But he doesn't condemn her or berate her for it either. You see, see Jesus, in bringing up her relationships, he's trying to help her see that, that she's trying to satisfy her spiritual thirst with physical relationships. And so, so, so in the caring way that Jesus does, Jesus is just trying to help her see that those things you're looking to for satisfaction, ultimately, they can't satisfy the thirst you have. No, not the spiritual thirst you have. No, not the way we were designed to be in relationship with Jesus Christ and with God. Jesus is helping her see that, that the true life, that her thirst will only be quenched with life in, in life with God. And then keep reading John chapter 4 on your own. And, and you'll see that the woman, she leans into Jesus' message. Jesus questioning her about her past and the, what, the stuff he brings up. Ultimately, it doesn't lead her to resist him. She doesn't run away. Instead, she, she, she runs back to the town. And by the end of this chapter, we find this woman inviting everybody else from town back to the well to hear this message from Jesus. She's like, could, could this man really be the Messiah? She's inviting them back. So, so this woman that starts out this, this chapter isolated, this woman that starts out this chapter avoiding others, by the end of the chapter, she's running to go find relationships to invite them back to tell them about Jesus. That's the difference the gospel makes. The, the wall that shame creates can't withstand the gracious pursuit of God's love. The, the wall that shame creates holds nothing against the gracious pursuit of God's love. The way he builds bridges and tears down walls. And so, so if you're here today feeling isolated and trapped by shame yourself, again, again, maybe it's sexual sin, financial mismanagement, hurtful words, or whatever else can create shame in our lives. Remember, God's gracious pursuit of you is bigger and greater and better than whatever wall of shame maybe you feel others have put up for you or that you've put up around yourself. So here's where we're at. In John 4, we see Jesus clearly revealing himself as the Messiah. We see Jesus clearly offering this, this Samaritan woman the, the all-satisfying, thirst-quenching, full life that he came to offer but what makes this story so important isn't just what Jesus says. I mean, again, that's important. But what, what adds to this story's importance, I guess, is who Jesus is sharing this message with. A Samaritan woman with a broken past and a messy life. So Jesus breaks through the walls of cultural separation and shame and he builds a bridge to himself. He offers this Samaritan woman and us true and eternal life. Well, Brookside, this, this same message of who Jesus is and what he offers is, is just as real today as it was back in the first century when this situation with Jesus the well, when it actually happened. But, but the walls that can keep us 
from experiencing this full life that Jesus offers, those walls can be just as real today too. Cultural distance still keeps us from building meaningful friendships with others who are different from us. Brokenness and shame can lead us to avoid relationships because we don't want to enter into the brokenness of others. We want to keep them away from our own brokenness. But when we come to these walls that can seem so, so big, remember what we've seen in John chapter 4. Jesus comes to tear down these walls and create this bridge to life with him. So let me finish with two questions that, that I want to ask that will make all of this very personal. Questions that, that flow directly out of what we've seen in John chapter 4 this morning. But, but questions that, that, that I want us to be asking because we need to ask, what does this mean for our lives now, for my life now, today? So first question, what walls can I break down? How can I build bridges with people who maybe are even very different from me? How can I build bridges that show others that the life Jesus offers is for everyone? I love how Jeff is leading us as a church towards this, towards breaking down the wall of cultural separation. Just a few weeks ago, Jeff was preaching through Acts 10 about this, about, about the story where, where, where we get this picture of the multi-ethnic faith that, that God wants in his church. And, and so Jeff is talking to us, and, and here's what he says. He says, he says, one of, he says, one of his dreams for Brookside Again, this is a dream that is, doesn't just start with Jeff. This is God's vision for his big C church. But here's how it bakes into our local church. What, one of our dreams for Brookside is that as time goes on, we'll become more diverse as a church. And he said that, that we want to reflect the beautiful picture, the multi-ethnic, multi-colored picture that God paints with all the cultural diversity that is already around us in Omaha. That is in our backyard. And if we're going to do this, if we're going to take steps in this direction, all of us here this morning are important. Whatever our cultural heritage, we all need to be willing to raise our hands and say, I will take the first step to, to ask the first question and to build a relationship with someone who maybe looks different than I do, who maybe comes from a different spot of the globe than I do, who maybe likes different foods than I do, who, who, whatever those cultural differences may be, we say we're going to tear down those walls that would separate us. Let's build bridges across those instead. And so how can you break down the wall of cultural separation? How can you break down the wall of shame where, where you say, I, I know it's going to cost me something to build a relationship with that individual? Where, where I know it's not going to be easy, kind of a 30-minute conversation, and then everything is fixed by the time we're done there. But, but how can I enter into a long-term, high-cost relationship with, with somebody else that maybe has a broken past or a messy life? Or, or how can I invite somebody else into my own brokenness? So, so what walls, Brookside, can you break down? Next question, are there walls that I'm hiding behind? Are there walls that are keeping me from experiencing the, the full, the true, the good, the satisfying life that Jesus came to offer? Some of you here, maybe you haven't even really considered Christianity. I mean, not, 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 not deeply anyway, 
because you've always thought of it just as a Western religion. And, and you identify with some other cultural heritage. And so, so because of that, you've written Christianity off. Well, well, well let me show us or remind us that, that one thing we can't miss about Christianity is that it didn't start in the West. Christianity was birthed in the Middle East. And, and then if you just look at, at percentages... In terms of numbers, Christianity is fairly evenly represented all around the globe. So many of the continents. Christianity has no dominant culture. And so whatever your cultural background, I encourage you and invite you to look into the claims of Jesus for yourself. Who he is and everything that he offers you. Others of you here, you, you feel trapped by shame. And, and you know that that's a wall you've been hiding behind. Maybe, maybe you don't want to, but it's still a wall you're hiding behind. Something about what you've done in the past, maybe, maybe something about what you're currently doing is, is so big in your minds right now, you, you can't see past it. And you, you have counted yourself out as somebody that God's love can reach. Well, if that's you, Fill your mind this morning with everything we've learned in John chapter 4. Jesus knows everything about you. Everything about your past. He knows everything about your present. But the picture we get of Jesus is that he gently approaches you. With the full, complete knowledge of you that he has. Jesus gently approaches you and invites you. To experience the life that he offers. He's that kind of Messiah. He's the kind of good, gentle Messiah that, that, that invites us in our brokenness back to the full, good, deep life. Satisfying life that only we can find in him. And so John 4 is it, all about the life that Jesus offers. The, the, one that, the, the life that he offers every one of us. And then as we keep reading, the, the, certainly just the Gospel of John, but the rest of the New Testament as well, we find out that Jesus doesn't stop with breaking down the walls of cultural separation and shame. As we keep reading, we find that Jesus works to, to break down the, the ultimate walls separating us from God. The, the wall of sin and the wall of death. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus offers every one of us here life. And so this morning, as we, as we take time to, to just slow down, pause, and celebrate communion, I want us to reflect in just a fresh, good, special way on Jesus' death on the cross for you. On, on how that work accomplished a bridge spanning any walls that would have separated us from God, helping us find life with Jesus. Remember that Jesus' death it was the ultimate, the ultimate example <laughs> of God's love for you. And then spend time thanking God that, that because of Jesus and his work, he offers life to everyone. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you that you are the kind of Messiah that knows everything about us, knows who we are, knows where we're from, knows what we've done and what we're doing. And Jesus, you, you come to us gently because, because you want us to experience the, the full, thirst-quenching life that you offer. 
So Jesus, I, I pray for those of us now that have already responded to that, that, that are followers of you. Jesus, help us to experience everything you offer in, in just fresh ways this week. And then Jesus, for those, of, for those here this morning that still feel trapped behind a wall separating them from you, whether that's shame or wh whatever else it is, Jesus, show them how you can break down walls and show them, Jesus, how you build bridges to the love and the life that you offer. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.